0: If you give us a station ID, they'll kill me if I don't don't ask. I'd hate to see you killed. This is Steve Robinson, temporarily back on Earth, in Davis, on KDVS 90.3. is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. I think we should express every so often how much we enjoy the privilege of being able to speak into this microphone and address so many of you out there. We get wonderful feedback. Uh, And you can send us an email at info at radioparallax.com. We hope you will continue to do so. We like hearing that you enjoy what we're doing. And uh, to define what we are doing um, can be difficult. But I think that we take a page out of the playbook of the legendary newsman Daniel Shore, who carries the title of Senior News Analyst at National Public Radio. Uh, Mr. Shore feels that someone... um, Someone should try and analyze from the vast body of data that comes our way in the media uh, what is going on, make sense out of it, uh, I'll put his experience to use. And in our own small way, I think we're trying to imitate uh, the good example of Mr. Shore. There's a lot of really fine public affairs programming that comes your way via KDVS, and we're proud to be a part of it. It has afforded us an opportunity to also interface with some other great institutions, and I would like to put a plug in for the Insight program, which I was fortunately able to host yesterday, sitting in for Jeffrey Callison. Uh, our topic in the third segment was of some interest to a University of California audience. We talked to a doctor, Ed Callahan, and an actress, uh, or actor slash actress, Betsy reif and a UCD medical student Diana Felton. We talked about the standardized patient program here at the University of California Davis School of Medicine, which employs actors to help train student physicians on their interviewing skills, how to deal with numerous difficult situations, a, a very uh, interesting program, which I thought made some good radio. So we would refer you to capradio.org insight for yesterday's show. I was also able to return to the subject of conservatorship, something we talked about with uh, Assemblyman Dave Jones here in this program last month. It was uh, nice to be able to uh, revisit the subject for the KXJZ uh, stations, and um, I'm glad that host Jeffrey Callison and producer Benjamin Jonas Keeling were willing to turn the reins over to someone operating here out of KDVS. I'm very pleased to see different institutions in in, in public radio uh, talking to one another. We've spoken with the good people at uh, uh, KVMR on this station. I know a lot of other uh, DJs here are affiliated with Radio Pacifica. Listening to uh, KDVS every week, you can get uh, the Counterspin program, which is usually quite excellent, uh, every day of the week. We bring you Amy Goodman's Democracy Now! program and of course uh, every afternoon before you the public affairs hour you're able to hear a half hour of free speech radio news if you're like me you may find that you don't always agree with the editorial content of some of this, uh, this programming but by God it is a welcome relief to what you hear on commercial, radio, and television I suspect that you agree and that's, that's why you listen all right Let's start the show as we like to do with this date in history. On this date in history, March 16th in the year 597 BC, Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar captures Jerusalem and sends Jewish king Jehoiachin, along with at least 3,000 of his people, into exile in Babylon. And if I mispronounce that, please send us an email. On March 16, 1815, Prince William of Orange ascends the throne of the Kingdom of the Netherlands, a realm manufactured at the Congress of Vienna from Dutch and Belgian territories. The Netherlands is still with us in the 21st century. In 1867, English surgeon Joseph Lister publishes the first of several articles in the medical journal Lancet that describes his discovery of antiseptic surgery. And on March 16, 1988, U.S. President Ronald Reagan orders more than 3,000 U.S. troops to Honduras, claiming that Nicaraguan soldiers had invaded the country. The Honduran government had not called for the American troops and was not able to confirm the claim that Nicaraguans had crossed their border. Our joke of the day is as follows. A priest is driving down to New York and he gets stopped for speeding in Connecticut. The state trooper smells alcohol in the priest's breath and then sees an empty wine bottle on the floor of the car. He says, Father, have you been drinking? Just water, says the priest. Well, then, Father, why do I smell wine? The priest looks at the bottle, looks back at the cop and says, Good Lord, he's done it again! Our quote of the day comes from President George W. Bush and is as follows. And I want those who are questioning it to explain why all of a sudden Middle Eastern companies held to a different standard than a great British company. Well, to answer the President's question, in addition to the fact that none of the 9-11 hijackers were British, none of the funds that were transshipped to Al-Qaeda went through British ports, and as far as we know... Pakistani rogue nuclear scientist A.Q. Khan did not ship parts for atomic bombs through any British ports. We are indebted to Jamie O'Neill's article in the Sacramento News and Review that did point out that, well, you know, in fairness, it was the British that torched the White House back in the War of 1812. And we do like Mr. O'Neill's pointing out that Bush cannot be blamed, after all, for an inferior education that evidently awarded him an undergraduate degree in history but failed to clue him in, for instance, about the presence of black people in Brazil. <laughs> Bush, of course, asked Brazilian President Fernando Cardoso on November 8, 2001, do you have blacks too? But we at Radio Parallax would like to sound off and note for the president that some differences between the Middle East, a Middle Eastern company, and a great British company <laughs> might be the fact that, well, Great Britain and the U.S. share certain legal structures in fact our our nation our method of governance our whole legal system comes directly out of that of great britain because after all we were once a british colony this uh, contrasts somewhat with uh, this item from the briefing on dubai in the current episode of the week magazine which in answer to the question about the united arab emirates which was can women vote the answer was no but then again neither can men the UAE is the only Gulf nation that never has held an election of any kind. Instead, a seven member Supreme Council comprising the heads of the seven ruling families meets every five years to appoint a president. Clearly, ladies and gentlemen, in the Middle East, democracy is on the march. Here's a little item from that same briefing I was unaware of, which I think uh, we, we must share with you, dear listener. In 1999, Local spies tipped off the CIA that Osama bin Laden was enjoying a holiday at the Sheikh Ali hunting club near Kandahar, Afghanistan. Plans were drawn up for a missile strike. But before President Clinton gave the green light, the CIA reported that members of the United Arab Emirates royal family were also hunting at the camp and sometimes socializing with bin Laden. CIA Director George Tennant advised Clinton that he could not be certain that Bin Laden was still there and warned him that a strike might wipe out half the members of an Arab ally's ruling family. Today most CIA officials say Clinton had little choice but to call off the strike. Our stat of the day, 59% of Americans say they would oppose their state passing a law like the one in South Dakota that bans abortion in all cases except to save the mother's life. Let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. Last week, the Week magazine judged it a good week for consistency after the British punk legends The Sex Pistols declined induction into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, describing the Cleveland-based institution in a profane and barely coherent statement as, and we're paraphrasing, a urine stain. This week, the magazine judged a good week for practical advice, after Silvio Berlusconi, Italy's richest man, as well as its prime minister, told his nation's poor to stop feeling sorry for themselves. Try to earn more, Berlusconi advised. We're unable to verify that he also suggested that they might want to eat cake. As far as being a bad week goes, last week was judged a bad week for tenors, after Scottish researchers discovered that ovulating women are attracted to men with deep voices. This week, the magazine judged it a bad week for boy toys after Jerry Hall, Mick Jagger's ex-wife, announced that her days of dating much younger men are over. Not only are they sexually incompetent, says Hall, 48, but they make you listen to Coldplay, and there ain't no treatment for that. And it was kind of an ugly week down in Florida. For Johns, after a convicted Florida pimp sued six of his former customers alleging that they deserved some of the blame for his arrest and subsequent deportation. Dutch national Arthur Vanmore, who did business under the names Arthur Funmoor and Big Pimpin' Pappy, says the men all signed credit card slips containing the disclaimer cardholder states that this transaction is not for illegal activity. Had he known the men were planning to have sex with the prostitutes, said Vanmore he would have promptly refunded their money. As it so happens, we, we have no guests on today's program. We have a lot of business to catch up on, so I think we're okay. We will, in the weeks to come, be talking as we promised you that we would with our fellow public affairs host here on KDVS France Seneca about the passing of Betty Friedan. We'll also be speaking with Richard Estes about the passing of Coretta Scott King. We also uh, plan to speak with some of the good people from the Local Dirt Program, which you heard every Thursday morning here on KDVS between 8.30 and 9.30. We're going to talk a little bit about composting, which is what that show uh, concerns itself with among many other agricultural issues, and uh, vermiculture, how to have a worm colony, And before you turn the dial, I promise you that will be an interesting subject. We read a fascinating book called The Earth Moved, and I promise you, I promise you, you will not be bored talking about worms and compost. All right, let's let's finish up segment one today here with just miscellaneous items. All right, here's a surprise. Everybody moves to the suburbs seeking a more healthful life, don't they? Well... Researchers at the RAND Corporation analyzed the health of 8,600 Americans in 38 cities and found that those living in spread-out metropolitan areas were more likely to suffer from chronic health problems than residents of more compact cities. An adult living in a spread-out area like Atlanta had the health of someone four years older in a compact city like Seattle. Researchers say the main culprit is the automobile. People in sprawling cities tend to drive more and walk less. Suburbanites also may be exposed to more air pollution. Rand's Roland Sturm told the Washington Post, suburban sprawl affects your health. That's really the take-home message. Perhaps you noticed, uh, speaking of suburban sprawl, the Sacramento Bees cover story last week about Angelo Sacopoulos, the king of sprawl in the greater Sacramento metropolitan area. Mr. Sacopoulos, uh is a fascinating character, and we're going to hope to talk a little bit more about him in one of our uh, later segments today. Research done at the University of South Wales found that, uh, well, you might want to consider grumpy people as employees. They may not be a lot of fun, but apparently they're far more reliable than people with sunny dispositions, according to researchers. They found that people in bad moods were more accurate observers of events than cheerful ones. Psychologist Joseph Forgas also said that sad or grouchy people marshaled their thoughts and communicated them more effectively. In a sunny mood, people were less alert and more oblivious to their surroundings. Forgas said the findings make sense from an evolutionary point of view. Good moods signal a benign, non-threatening environment where we don't need to be so vigilant. Put on a happy face. Put on a happy face. And a study in the UK shows that rohypnol is apparently not the uh, date rape drug of choice that people need to be uh, on guard against. Because drinking, not spiking, may be behind the vast majority of date rapes. Analysis of blood and urine samples suggests that while most victims were drunk at the time of the assault, very few had swallowed sedatives. They calculated conversely that at the time of the assault, 32% of the victims had consumed enough alcohol to make them pass out or suffer memory loss with more than 0.2 blood levels. That would be two and a half times legally drunk here in California. Another 24% were drunk with at least... 0.15 blood levels. So forget roofies. Clearly alcohol is the drug to watch out for. We just want to make passing mention of the fact today that a third cow has surfaced in America testing positive for mad cow disease. What struck me about the coverage was the article by Bob Bergdorfer on Reuters that noted that Mad Cow Disease is no longer front-page news at many leading newspapers, which put stories of the latest U.S. case on the inside of their editions. The headline stated, Newspapers Move U.S. Mad Cow Story Off Front Pages. We're not sure we can uh, agree with the analysis in the article that the move off the front page appears to support the U.S. beef industry's claim that consumers are not as concerned as they had been that the disease is a threat to the food supply. The industry claims that as consumers learn more about the disease, they gain confidence in the safety measures being taken. We would note that it's also possible that the beef industry, being big advertisers, leans on papers to put it off of the front pages. We suspect that there's truth in both lines of reasoning. We did a special program on BSC last May, and I think we're going to revisit the subject soon. And let's close with an item from the Only in America file. The latest plastic surgery craze in America is virginity restoration. That would be in quotation marks, virginity restoration. For $2,000 to $5,000, surgeons are rebuilding women's hymens, the vaginal membrane that is ruptured during intercourse. Most patients are from cultures that expect brides to be virgins, but many women are having the surgery as a romantic gesture to their partners. What an awesome gift to give the man in my life who deserves everything, said Jeanette Yarborough, who wasn't a virgin when she got married. Giving it up to Lewis was the ultimate experience. Well, we would like to point out that you cannot retroactively, quote, give up your virginity, unquote, to someone. Some wacky OBGYN or plastic surgeon can reconstruct a small vaginal membrane that in some ways duplicates the original anatomic structure of young women, which can then be ruptured during intercourse. This is not the same thing as (laughs) having your virginity restored. I mean, that's clear, isn't it? You're listening to Radio Parallax here on KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento. I'm Douglas Everett, and stay tuned. we got a lot more to talk about in segments two and three.